This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of practical shepherding. And I am not joined in studio today with Jim Sebastio, who is usually with me, but I am excited to announce I do have a special guest that I am going to be talking to uh, today, uh, who I'll introduce in a moment. Before I do that, just a couple of quick things to remind you of. If you want, would like to reach out and contact us, you can go to practicalshepherding.com. There's a contact uh, portion there, and that comes directly to me. If we can be helpful to you in any way, if you want us to address something on the podcast, uh, you can even go and financially give off the website, that donate button there. Uh, whatever we, we can do to be helpful, please let us, and you can reach out and let us know how we can uh, try to accomplish that. Today, I'm excited to talk to my friend, Al Pino, who is here with us. And Al is a pastor in Miami, Florida. And uh, we've, we met through a, a, a mutual friend who was up here, uh, a part of uh, some of the ministry that I was doing here. I was a student at Southern Seminary. And God in His providence just allowed us to have a, develop a sweet friendship. And, and as I've learned from Al, I realized there's things that I believe a lot of you would learn from him. So I wanted to be able to bring him in on the podcast. So Al, thanks for coming and being with us on this time. It's great to be here, Brian. Thanks for inviting me. So Al, first thing, I want you to just kind of introduce yourself. Uh, tell us about your family. Uh, tell us about um, where you are at this point. And then we can kind of get into more of the, the history of your, your ministry and things. Sure. Well, I'm Cuban-American. I grew up in Miami, Florida, and um, love that city. And um, about 22 years ago, uh, the Lord brought me back to Miami to plant a church, Palm Vista Community Church, and currently I'm one of the pastors mm. on staff at the church. Uh, married, I have four children and eight grandchildren. Wow. So very, very blessed. They're all in Miami. They're all part of the church. I realize that makes me uh, a very blessed man indeed. I'm aware that we could probably have a separate podcast about how you pulled that off in some way to have them all there, have them all involved in church. That's yeah, that's a that's a really great blessing. So, so what? So Al, tell us about um, you know how how do you tell us about how you came to know the Lord how, and how the Lord kind of called you into the ministry? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. So I grew up in the tumultuous uh, late '60s, uh, early '70s. Uh, I'm so, I'm 63 years old. Okay. And uh, I was a bad boy uh, throughout my junior high years, and God, in his wonderful grace and mercy, um, pulled me out of being as bad as I could have been, uh, really through the Jesus movement of the uh, late 60s, early 70s, and um, went on to... to, go to the University of Florida, and uh, really was was on my way to uh, a, a career, believe it or not, in politics. Okay. Being Cuban-American, my parents being Cuban immigrants, uh, they loved this country, and mm. uh, my dad served this country in World War II. I served it as an officer in the Army right out of college, okay. and uh, I was on my way to law school in politics in South mm. Florida, and uh, God just came into my life, again, in a gracious way, and just directed me to serve him. Hmm. Uh, and that, I didn't know what that meant initially. So this would have been 1982. Okay. Three weeks away from going to Florida Law School. Uh, just deviated off of that and spent many years trying to figure out what that meant. Hmm. Initially, I thought it meant missions. Okay. I have a real heart for not only the Hispanic world, but the Muslim world. Okay. So I looked at possibly Spain, North Africa. And uh, and then uh, after I graduated from Reformed Theological Seminary, RTS, 
uh, it became clear that it was pastoral ministry. So mm. I had done missions work for many years. So it went into pastoral ministry, and um, that's how I ended up in Miami, Florida, to plant Palm Vista Community Church 22 years ago. So tell me, what made you plant a church, and of all places, Miami, Florida, and uh what happened in those first few years at the churches you tried to plant? There's going to be some pastors listening to this that have planted churches and are trying to sort through and make sense even of what happened in their own church. What what made you plan in Miami? Why Miami, Florida? And what were those first few years like? Well, first, let's talk about the reason to plant a church. Okay. And that would be my ongoing uh, development of, of my concept of the church that God has given me. Though today I could probably articulate it better than I could 22, 24, 25 years ago. I've always had this sense that the church is the place where God brings his people together to image him collectively. Mm-hmm. And I can see that clearer today, you know, whether it's Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, or 1 Timothy, and particularly 1 Timothy 3, 15, where he talks about the church, the household of faith, the church of the living God, being the pillar and support or buttress of the truth. And I just think that that the church is this glorious place where men and women get together, God brings them together, mm-hmm. and collectively they image Christ. They 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 reflect who He is, what He has done, um, and um, the the church is this place where where we live out the truth, the gospel, this mm-hmm. gospel life together, mm-hmm. uh, where we worship God, we image Christ, and we make disciples. And so it just was the place where I said, Lord, I want to give my life for the church, mm-hmm. your church, your body, your house, your household. And so planting a church was the way to do that. And the reason for Miami was uh, I believe that the Hispanic world has been underserved in that. Okay. Through no fault of anybody's, but yeah. we didn't get it on the Reformation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we do not have a rich history. Yeah. And um, and our world is, is underserved. So the idea was to come to Miami, this crazy tumultuous, bustling, hustling city of, of immigrants and, 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 and schmoozers and, and hustlers and <laughs> people that have come from other countries to make a buck. Mm. You know, uh, in some ways, Miami is what America was. You know, maybe New York was, you know, many years ago. Just right. a, a city of people wanting to make it, the American mm. dream, mm-hmm. and bring in the kingdom and bring in the gospel, which it's already here, but just lend my hand to others that were already here and then hopefully reach into the Caribbean. Hmm. Uh, into Cuba, and particularly Cuba, which is where my family's from, Yeah, and other places. That's great. So when you started the church, how many did you start with? Did you have a team that about came in? A small team. You? There was about 16 of us in my living room in 1997, and uh, um, six of them were my family members. Okay. And, and, you, and you did that 22 years ago? I did, 1997, January. So... You've seen a few things, ups and downs, through 22 years of church planting, yes. I would assume, right? So maybe share one or two things that have been most encouraging in the last 22 years, and maybe one or two things that have been one of the bigger challenges for you as a pastor and a planner. Yeah, most encouraging is the faithful preaching of God's Word. Hmm. Uh, and uh, I would say not only declaring the gospel, but demonstrating the gospel. Mm-hmm. And the power of, of the gospel, God's love for his people, um, God's Christ building his church, and seeing that play out in marriages restored, people uh, seeing the church, perhaps for the very first time, an evangelical church where they've come from maybe a Catholic or nominal Catholic background, mm-hmm. come together from many different backgrounds and, and people groups and 
linguistic groups and socioeconomic levels and uh, coming to form a church by God's grace and the, the fun that we, ha- we have. Uh, mm. Palm Vista is a church that loves to party. Mm. We have the gift of hanging out. It's good. Uh, we are in many ways dysfunctional, but in that way, we just <laughs> embrace everybody and we're just ready to have a... Hispanics are that way. You, yeah, that's great. You, 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 you go to a park and have someone start playing on the congas and playing some music and people will just start dancing and partying. They may not even know each other. Huh. And so the, in that spirit, Palm Vista has done that around the gospel. So seeing that work, seeing that grow, and then being able to plant out another church in, in, in Miami hmm. uh, of dear friends, that's been the highlight. Hmm. Seeing my children see a vibrant expression of the church, and by God's grace, as he has chosen them, we know that's God's work, not mine, but as they've seen that example and want to be a part of that, that's yeah. been a joy. Yeah. Um, and then serving with my friend Corey Smidgen, who is not Hispanic, in case you didn't wonder. Smidgen is not a Hispanic surname. That's good to know. Uh, the last 17 years, okay. and that that deep fellowship and friendship that I realize is somewhat unique. Hmm. Those have been the ups. Uh, the downs have been um, m- probably seeing my own fallibilities and mm-hmm. wishing I could have done things better. Yeah. Um, s- pouring your life into people and then maybe seeing that either that didn't work well or even experiencing the sting of disappointment in those relationships, <clears throat> that's probably the toughest one. Mm-hmm. And when I say disappointments, on my side and their side, so it's, it's, it takes two to tango. Mm-hmm. But uh, those are probably the shots that hurt the worst. Yeah. But the gospel has brought much grace and reconciliation even in that. Yeah. So grateful yeah. for that. As a, that's great. As I'm listening to you talk, I'm reminded as I'm 16 years into our church that I often tell guys that if you – if you stay 10 years uh, or more, you can no longer blame the previous pastor for all the problems. You certainly can if you're a church planter. <laughs> so you got to kind of come to a point where you own that, which is good, but uh, can also be painful you know, as well. So talk to me about your church. What's it like? You know, you're in Miami, Florida. Is, what, what's the makeup of your church? Is there, is there diversity within the church and agents, that kind of thing? I want to say one thing about what yeah, you good. just said, and then I'll answer that yeah, question. Yeah, and, and own it appropriately. Okay. Because one of the things that I discovered in a recent sabbatical I took is that at some point I was owning things that I probably shouldn't have owned. Mm. That's good. You can tease that out later with yeah. some of the guys, yeah. but particularly guys that want to beat themselves up a little too much. Yeah, uh, I think there's some wisdom in bringing other people in and owning things appropriately. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to Palm Vista. I want to say before I appreciate you mentioning that because we we want to draw a distinction. If you're listening to this, there are two kinds of pastors usually, and that's the one who is not willing to take the ownership he needs to. But there is another pastor you just articulated that you even claim to be yourself, in that your maybe maybe it's connected to a, a bit of self loathing in that we we take on things that we even shouldn't. And so if you're listening to this, we just we would both affirm that those two things, those two kinds of pastors exist. It's important for you to know which one you are to know how you need to deal appropriately with with owning things and 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 stuff. So, okay, I'll go ahead. Go ahead and jump back in. That's an important thing I think we just highlighted though for whoever's listening. That may be another through. that may be another podcast. That, I think that is, but let's um, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Palm Vista is about 60-70% Hispanic, most like me, second generation Cuban American. Okay. Not just Cuban American, but second generation. 
Uh, we speak Spanish, but our mother tongue would be English. Uh, there's also a lot that speak Spanish as their mother tongue, and there's a few that don't speak any English, so we provide simultaneous translation for them. Hmm. Uh, it is a, uh, a church uh, that it, it has it spans all of the nationalities, particularly the Caribbean, Central America, and South America, Argentinians, Brazilians, Cubans, Puerto Ricans, Mexicans, hmm. um, <clears throat> everything. I'm, I'm span- from Spain, yep. um, um, islands from the islands, St. Vincent's, um, Barbados. Um, so it, it's, it's a, I think it's a South Florida mix. Yeah. Duh, we're in South Florida. Yeah, but it, it, you would say your church reflects the diversity that exists in South Florida. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other the other day, I used an illustration of the naturalization process to become a citizen in one of my sermons, and I said, "Let me just ask you a question." Um, I said, "How many of you have been naturalized, or know someone that's been naturalized, or somebody in your family, or in the process of being naturalized?" Hmm. I would say over seventy five people raised their hand in a church that's not that big. Hmm. And I looked around, I was stunned. I mean, I raised my head. My parents were both naturalized citizens. Hmm. So it's that world, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a cool world, crazy world. Yeah. Al, a lot of pastors listening to this, what do you love about being a pastor? Yeah, I, th- I think the first piece for me would be caring for people's souls. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you look at or Timothy... This word, you know, for an elder, an overseer, even a pastor, it, it all comes around this shepherding idea, this idea of you, he's the shepherd, he's the great shepherd and, and overseer of our souls, Philippians mm-hmm. 1.1, and then he has under shepherds. I love doing that. Yeah. Listening to them, praying with them, equipping them for ministry. Um, obviously, preaching the word is front and center. I love preaching. Love I was preaching. born to preach. I, I'm a preacher. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was. Initially, I think my father thought I was a politician because I had the gift of gab. Right. But I think that gift was from God to be able to articulate and do so in a way that's compelling. Mm-hmm. You know, politicians can do it sometimes with mixed motives, but it's compelling. Yeah. Right. You want to listen to that guy or that gal, and and and. But I think God gives that gift to, to people, to men, to preach in a way that is profound, in a way that is accurate. But it, it's it connects with people. I love I love connecting with people that's for good. the sake of the gospel. That's good. So. You're a pastor of a church that you planted. And Al, there's a lot of conversations now in different circles about church planting and how do you plant a church? How much should pastoral giftings be involved? How much should entrepreneurial giftings be involved? So let me just throw this this loaded question out there and you can answer it however you want. But is, is a church planter to be a pastor or... How much should a church planner be a pastor and how much should they be other things? Because that's obviously a unique calling to start a new work like that. But this is a debate that's, that I'm hearing more and more about. So, But as one who's pastoring an established church but that you planted, uh, somebody who's listening to this and thinking they want to be a church planner, how much do they need to be thinking, i got to have entrepreneurial gifts and self-starting gifts and all this. And how much do I need to have a pastor's heart that you just articulated to say, I love to, I love to care for people's souls? How would you answer that? Man, this is a great question, Brian. I probably would answer it with some questions of my own. Yeah. I, I went through the process many years ago with one denomination of being assessed. Uh, I kind of had it re-validated uh, with another group, and I've been part of the group that I'm with now, the Southern Baptist, in assessing church planners. Okay. So I know I understand somewhat all that. Yeah. Bro, I just think that biblically, we are to care for the souls of, of men and women and preach. Mm-hmm. 
Is there a gifting that enables a man to gather uh, in a unique way, in a pioneering way, in a creative way? I don't know. Yeah, I would. I would say that it's got to be a team. Mm-hmm. But at the leading edge is caring for people's souls. Yeah, uh, you know, making disciples, mm-hmm. um, leading them to worship God rather than their idols, and mm-hmm. imaging Christ so that to, to grow to look like Christ. Yeah, are there some unique gifts for someone who's who's parachuting in and just starting fresh behind enemy lines, quote unquote? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, man. Great question. No, man, I appreciate your answer because, you know, I I would advocate for the same thing you shared. So just uh, for the record, if you're listening to this, church planter, church revitalization, you know, pastor who wants to go do a church revitalization, there are, this is a unique context in some ways in those two areas. But I would affirm exactly what Al said, and that's it doesn't matter ultimately You need to have gifts to be a pastor who has a heart to care for people's souls, regardless, even though those are two very different situations you're walking into. So I I would affirm that. I appreciate you you sharing that because you've experienced both. And and you've also pastored a church now for over two decades that you planted, which is also pretty rare, I would would say. Wouldn't you think that that... Are you finding that that's really common, that the planter who goes and plants ends up staying 20 or 30 years? No. And I think just being a pastor for 20 or 30 years, you know, I've got gray hair, which is actually turning white now. So that's what you have to look forward (laughs) to. Mine's getting gray. So is that what I had to look forward to? It'll go white, man. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. uh, But I think there's just, you know, I'm still standing by God's grace in Miami. Yeah. And there's just a certain level of people looking at me going, whoa, you know, how have you done that? And it's like... I start laughing. I said, I, "Really, the Lord has done that." Yeah, you know, it's like it's like wrestling an alligator. Mm-hmm. There's no good way to do it. You just survive. Yeah, you know, I mean, so by the, God's grace, the most recent stats I've seen is that in five years, fifty percent of pastors will not be in ministry, and in ten years, it's eighty percent. Yeah, so it's a staggering number, and so. We could have a different conversation about why do pastors not stay either stay in the ministry or stay in one church. But I want to. I want to. I want to just have an even a more unique question for you as as one who planted a church. Why do you think it is? This is what I've observed. So you can push back on it. But why does it seem that that a church planter who goes and plants a church, um, oftentimes, at least, seems to me in my experience, in less than ten years, they're gone, even if the church still exists, and someone else has come in and past. What What do you think is the reason that a the guy who comes and plants doesn't stay, and maybe wants to go plant another church and another church and another church. One, are you finding that? And two, how would you how would you explain that? Maybe maybe a lack of the right kind of care. I don't know if there's a broad one answer to that. Yeah, because I yeah. think each specific. But you're right. There tends to be a pattern that way. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe uh, that maybe the, the the kind of care that a man can receive. Who's doing that? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, for further study. Further study, indeed. Um, so, a couple of final questions. One is, so I'll ask them both, and and we can you can choose what you want to attack first. But so you have been in ministry a long time. You've been at this one church for 22 years. And what advice would you go back? We got a lot of younger pastors listening to this in their first five or ten years of ministry. What would you go back and tell your 
younger church plant yourself as you started the church, what you know now. And what would you go back and tell your younger pastor self in a way, kind of dividing those two aspects? What piece of advice would you give first as a a young planter and then as a young pastor? As a young planter, I would uh, reinforce the ability to get away and think and pray both in my sermon preparation and in my strategic planning for the church. Mm. And I would incorporate uh, a few more voices in there, particularly those that are gifted a little differently than me. Uh, I'm more of a people person. I'm out there, Mm. big dreamer, thinker, bring in more detailed individuals and uh, listen, cultivate that listening. Mm. To my pastor self, I would say take sabbatical sooner. So I took my first sabbatical 22 years into it. I probably should have, that probably should have been my third one. Mm-hmm. This is just a thumbnail. Who knows? Everybody's different, but maybe every five to seven years. So helpful to get away, not only to think, but to get a fresh perspective on that church that you love very much. Hmm. Would you share, Would you share uh, just as a final thought, why was this the first sabbatical at 22 years and not the third one? Well, I think part of it is I'm a people person. I think okay. I heard on one of your recent podcasts that some guys, you know, would love to hang in and just do sermon prep all day by themselves. And some guys are out in the Starbucks or wherever meeting people. I'm that meeting people yeah, guy. Yeah, I am too. So I'm horrified to be alone. Huh. Yeah, it's like jail for me. Hmm. And don't put me out in nature. You know, I'm hmm. a city guy. I need mm-hmm. sound and people. So I think part of it was just my own reluctance. Uh, part of it was probably some pride thinking that if I wasn't there, the thing would, would, would not go well. Uh-huh. And a part of it was just ignorance. Didn't realize. Hmm. Okay, no, that's good. So you you would advocate for what a sabbatical maybe every seven years, ten years maybe. Yeah, I'd that's... say no more than seven. Yeah, and don't let people tell you what it should be. It's going to be different for every person. That's good. Yeah, you don't have to be quiet. Yeah. Ooh, sorry. I know you're big on being quiet, Brian. Sorry. Uh, you do want to be quiet. Not all the time. No, I know. Just no. some of the time. All right. All right. All right. So <laughs> let me let me speak to the crazy people like me who are horrified by that. A sabbatical can simply be getting away from your current context, even yep. if it's in New York City, sipping a coffee every day. You are quiet in the sense you're not engaging everybody. Some of you may need a stimulus outside, all right? I realize this may, and I hope I'm not messing you no, up get, with this. Good. Just being a lot real. of people are going to relate to this. Okay. So go ahead, yeah. But, but get away from your normal. You don't have to be there. Turn your phone off. Mm-hmm. And really listen to God. I, I listen to God with stuff happening around me, okay? Mm-hmm. But by the way, it may be the Lord saying, hey, go take some time and be totally alone in Alaska somewhere mm-hmm. with you and the bears. Just mm-hmm. don't let the bear get you. Mm-hmm. And that may be it as well. I'm just saying, get away. Yeah, but you also, on your sabbatical you took this summer, you did have some of those I did. quiet moments I did. in the woods, in the I mountains, did. Al. I did. I did. So, yeah, that's I did. good. So, so I'm a hypocrite, right? No, yeah, no yeah. it's not. It means <laughs> it means that the, I think you're making a great point in that everybody's different. Know yourself. Know what you need to be able to rest. Yes. And to not let anybody say do that. you have to do this and have to do yeah, that because, to be able to rest. Because, frankly, for me, it takes energy to be by myself. And yeah. I get energy from being with people. Yeah. The guy, the guy I work with, Corey Smidgen, who's such a godly man, it's the opposite. He gets energy from being alone in nature, and it takes energy out for him to be with people. Doesn't make us better from each other, right? It just yeah, know yourself in that sense. Yeah, that's a that's a classic definition you just gave of an extrovert and introvert. Not that you don't like the other, but it takes more effort and energy. Mm -hmm. So, now that's great, and that's a great spot to to 
to stop, I think. And if um, if you would like to follow up with Al and anything he said, uh, feel free to to reach out to me, and I'll be glad to con- put you in contact with Al. I'm sure he'd be glad to uh, to follow up with any of you if you have questions about that. So, um, but I want to take a moment as we wrap this up and pray for Al and his ministry. He, he I'm, I'm grateful for his ministry. He's been a wonderful example to me and to others of longevity of faithfulness through some really hard ministry situations and, and has remained steadfast in that. And I just, I want to encourage you to persevere in the same way. And I want to be able to put people like him in front of you is, is why I wanted to have this conversation with him. So let me take a moment and pray for him that God will, will help uh, help you out to be able to remain steadfast in your ministry. Lord, would you, uh, uh, would you bless this brother? Thank you for his wisdom and his insight and his discernment he's, he's shared with us. To everybody who's listening, Lord, would you use these words that he shared to to encourage, uh, to bring awareness of ourselves, and to be aware of the way you're at work uniquely in each of our lives and the way you've called us to and what you've called us to. Uh, So, Lord, would you bless Palm Vista, bless uh, the 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 leaders at this church, and that you would help them to know when to to rest and when to, to go full force to serve you. And would you continue to build that church as you've been doing for the last 22 years? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.